Let's go to China with an Irish-American comic. Des Bishop is in Melbourne doing the Melbourne uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival. I'll tell you when his shows are on a little bit uh, a little bit later on. But this is what his show is about. It's called Made in China. He went to live in China for a year, and the aim was at the end of the year, uh, and he went there not having lived there before or not being able to speak Mandarin. The aim was at the end of the year to speak not just to speak Mandarin, but to do a stand-up comedy routine in Mandarin and to make the Chinese audience laugh. Doing comedy is such a subtle thing because you, you don't have to just know the words. You have to know the timing and the connotations and, and also the shared assumptions of the society because so much of comedy is about tapping into those assumptions and it's about what you don't say as much as you say. So, so you don't just have to learn the language. You have to learn really how everyone's mind works. So it must, it must have been very difficult. Um, Des Bishop joins us from uh, our Melbourne studio. Hi, Des. Hey, how's it going? Very good, thank you. Why did you decide to do this fiendishly difficult thing? Well, you know, I I really wish I had, like, the quick, witty answer to that, but it, it, it did come in stages. Yeah. I, w- I won't bore you with all the stages, but I guess I had an interest in China for, for various different reasons throughout my life. But in, in, in 2003, I made a series in Ireland about living on minimum wage. Yep. Uh, and uh, I got friendly. There was a lot of Chinese guys working minimum wage jobs back in those days because we had an economy then uh, <laughs> in Ireland, and uh, people were, people were actually coming to Ireland to to do the jobs. Anyway, long story short, they were the first actual Chinese people from China I'd ever met, and uh, they brought me to China in 2004, and I was blown away, as many people are when they go to China, to how different it was in my mind, you know. And I mean, truth be told. China to me was like a man in front of a tank and very little else. You know, I was yeah. a, a child of the generation that, that had that image embedded on their mind. So uh, then in 2007, I made a series about trying to learn enough of the Gaelic language to do stand-up in Gaelic. And after that experience, the one thing that, that experience taught me a lot, but one thing it definitely taught me was that through learning a language, you can really learn a lot about a place, but also the experience of trying to learn the language translates well on screen as a, as a way of, you know, getting a deeper understanding of a culture. So I then decided to sort of take that model and translate it into the, into talking about China because I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just out of an interest in China. I, I did think it was a, a sellable idea because China was becoming, you know, increasingly yes. important in people's eyes. And, uh, but then it took me five years to get the money. But eventually I got over there and I started last year and, and here I am talking to you a year later. And I wonder, I mean, if you were to pick all the languages in the world to try this in, you'd know the answer to this better than me. But I would imagine Mandarin uh, and, all the, and all the cultures and societies, I, I would imagine China learning Mandarin would be probably one of the most difficult, wouldn't it? Well, that's what people say. Yeah, I mean, they say Finnish and and uh, and Chinese, I guess, are the toughest. Um, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't doing it so much in terms of the challenge point of view. I mean, yeah. I had, I had a method in my mind uh, from learning Gaelic before, yeah. and uh, I really do think that if you have a year, if you have a year to put aside to just learn a language, you'd be amazed how much you can learn. I mean, people think I'm some sort of language genius. <laughs> I actually don't agree. I I really think if it's your full-time job, you, you learn pretty fast. And, and so what, were you doing lessons every day? Or Yeah, so I was in college. I went back to college at yep. 37, which means I became 
that thing that I used to detest when I was in college myself, the mature student, the motivated, yeah. the motivated mature student who actually had, didn't have the distractions of his hormones anymore. So yes. uh, I was there with some young kids and I was definitely progressing faster than them. And, but then and I also, I had a private teacher as well because it, that, that, that wouldn't have just been enough. And were you in, were you in Beijing? Were we? Yeah, I was in Beijing. Okay. Because it was kind of like Beijing or Shanghai, but Shanghai is great, but... You know, it's very easy to just get into sort of expat life there. So I went to Beijing and uh, just completely immersed myself. It wasn't just the learning. It was also avoiding speaking English as much as possible. And I lived with a family for the entire year, which made a huge difference. And what was the so, family like? Uh, well, they were a very traditional Chinese family. The grandmother lived in the house, the parents, and, and the one child, of course. And uh, uh, they were very middle class, Beijing middle class, quite wealthy, the the... The father was, uh, he's like a scientist, like worked for the steel company, and the mother actually had a property company. And uh, so by, by Chinese standards, they're pretty well off. And uh, it was great. It was great because they, you know, they have friends over all the time. And living with them was no problem. Chinese people, I mean, obviously there are loads of differences between East and West, but Chinese people, their sense of space is very different to ours. Yeah. So like me living there wasn't as outlandish perhaps as it seems, right. like having guests in the house. It was pretty normal, pretty fast. And uh and the grandmother loved to have me around because most people, you know, I was like, it just was another person in the house to sort of like chat to or try to chat to for the majority yeah, of the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking to uh, Irish-American comic Des Bishop about his show Made in China, where he went to live in China for a year, learned the language, and end up doing uh, stand-up in Mandarin in China. I'll, I'll tell you when the show's on a little bit, uh, a little bit later on. So you, you had to learn the language, but you also had to learn presumably, about the society, about the culture, about doing stand-up, about what they found funny, what they laughed at, what they didn't, yes? Well, I was very lucky because literally around me, by chance, a stand-up scene kind of blossomed. There was very few guys doing it up until only two years ago. Yeah. And in the last two years, for a number of reasons, more and more guys are trying it out. Now, it's not it's not familiar in China at all. They have their own... They have their own uh, comedy forms. Like a lot of them are like two-hander, and they 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 have like a lot of like sketch comedy. But it's very, we would consider it a little bit old hat. But anyway, the the stand-up comedy scene emerged and really began to take off while I was in China, uh, completely unconnected to me being there. Right. So I was very quickly able to talk to people who who were trying it out. Now they were very new, so they obviously could speak Chinese and knew how to write jokes. But I was very I was a veteran of comedy but couldn't speak Chinese, but they could see that I had the stagecraft and the confidence on stage. So actually we were able to they were able to help me a lot in terms of what what flies and what doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And I was able to help them a lot in terms of, you know, just how to present yourself on stage and particularly around audience participation, because that is very uh that's not very Asian. You know, the the concept right. of the concept of like just making fun of somebody in the front row, they really worry about losing face and they worry about that person losing face and that it's impolite. And uh, so I was able to introduce them to the culture a bit more, try to open them up a little bit more on stage and they were able to sort of guide me to you know, just the topics and you know, like a lot of to be honest, I mean, I, I I'm not going to paint too rosy a picture yeah. of China. Sometimes I feel like I've been converted a little too much. <laughs> but I do have to say that one of the things about doing stand-up in China is it's a lot about what you can't say, and that not in terms of offending the audience, but just in terms of not creating trouble for yourself. Right. So they were they were able to to help me to say, look, these are the topics that we can cover, and this is about as far as you can push these topics, and these are the things we just can't talk about. And it's so what, about what, you. what can't you talk about? What are some of those topics? Well, clearly you can't talk about the government. Yeah. Uh, you can't talk about anything too dirty. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't fly there. They just don't, you know, they're not ready for that. Uh, you can't like, like I, 
in at small gigs because you're supposed to p- apply, right? So any actual performance you're supposed to shimpy, you're supposed to like put in an application, which means that you have to write every word of the performance, and wow. then the culture bureau decides whether you can do that or not, and they'll like scratch off the lines. But often we don't shimpy; we just do like under the radar performances, which are illegal. But it sounds a lot more dramatic than it is in that. So much of performance in China is illegal. So mm. actually, it, it's not like we're like you know being really radical or anything. But at the same time, at a non-applied gig, I do jokes about like their nightly news because it's just real heavy propaganda. Like like all news is propaganda nowadays. But like Chinese news is just like in your face, like World War Two style propaganda. You know, it's like every day. It's like the news is follows the same format. The first sort of 15 minutes is about how great the government is. The next 10 minutes is about how happy the people are. And the final five minutes is about how the West is an absolute mess. <laughs> and uh, so I have – and, and that, that's true. And that's kind of like – that actual joke that I just said to you is kind of like pub chat for Chinese. But then I, yeah. I, I wrote a 12-line rap using their, their, their nightly news sting, the music. I turned it into like a beat. So I just do like a – you can describe the Chinese news every day in, in 12 simple lines. And uh, so I can do that at the small gigs. Right. I can't do that at a, at, a, at, an, at a gig where you have to apply. Like, no way. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be amazed. I mean, like, I thought the stuff that I wouldn't be able to say is like, you know, you need democracy in China. But actually, what, I have a routine about the difference between the traditional Chinese characters and the simplified ones. Because in Hong Kong and Taiwan, they still use traditional. And in mainland, they use simplified. And at an applied gig, they told me I couldn't do that joke because you couldn't say in any way, shape, or form that the traditional characters are better than the simplified one because that's what we use here. And you would be wow. suggesting in some way that they do it better in Taiwan. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so uh, but, but, ca- yeah, go on. No, no, I was just going to say that. But but actually, there's probably been no problem with that, but people are just like overly cautious, you yeah, know, just yeah. in case you ruffle any feathers. So it's just it's just better to just not take any risks. Because well, I guess when you came to, to write your routine, for the final gig, what what what, mm. what works when you go anywhere new is the fish out of water. You know, I've mm. come here. I'm from somewhere else. This is how it's all different. But you'd have to be really careful with that in, in case the sub the 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 undercurrent was and how we do it is better than you, how you do it. You can't have any of that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And 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 not just in relation to like the one party state, but just culturally in China, yeah. they're not wild about like a Westerner saying. But also, people were. Westerners who are doing things in China are overly cautious about that because actually what I did discover as my Chinese got better, particularly with like improvising on stage, was that they like quite a bit of it, particularly the younger people. The younger people do like, and here's a crazy thing, they love when you make fun of how they speak English, which is funny because you're programmed over (laughs) here to not make fun of how Chinese people speak English, but actually Chinese people love it because... They're, con- they're Chinese people in China. They're confident in who they are. They're not concerned about you discriminating against them. Yeah. And uh, it's one of their favorite topics. And Chinese comedians often do jokes about their terrible English. Like the Chinglish stuff is a big – it's just like a big area of comedy for them. So in the end, God forgive me, I ended up doing a bit of it. I, I couldn't resist. It's oh, just yeah. Too, it's I too mean... easy of a laugh. But they, they, it's just – it's different for them. You know, they like they you know, it's it's the equivalent like when I was doing comedy about the Irish language, Irish people loved it because they all struggled to learn Irish in school because it's compulsory there. Yeah. And Chinese people love it because they all st- struggle to learn English in school. So actually you're not doing a routine about uh you know how bad they are at speaking English. You're really doing a nostalgic routine about the pain of their childhood. So it makes sense that they would find that really funny. So when you came to do the big show in, in Mandarin, how, how long did you do? 
Well, well, actually, what happened was I ended up doing much more comedy than I expected. So the whole concept of doing the big show kind of disappeared because I was doing comedy all the time. So what happened was there's a guy called Joe Wong. His Chinese name is Huang Shi, and he's a Chinese guy that's lived in the States for 20 years. And he got really big in, in, New York, in, in, in America doing comedy and was on Letterman three times, did the Ellen show, and then roasted Joe Biden. He did the vice presidential correspondence dinner. Right. And that went viral in China. And he got huge in China for the fact that he roasted the second most important man in the world, which is a big pride thing for Chinese people. So he then moved back to China, got a TV show, and has now started doing comedy in Chinese. So he asked me to open up for him for five nights in an 800-seater venue in Shanghai. Right. So we turned that into the final show because this was huge, and this was like an applied gig, so I had to deal with all the censorship and everything. So at that gig, I guess I did about 15, 20 minutes. But, I mean, I had done longer than that at other gigs, but this was a biggie, like, you know, and they yeah. they, 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 they sliced away a lot of material because they said it was unacceptable. Uh, but so what, did, what did you mainly talk about in that gig? Oh, you know, I talked a lot. They a, a lot about being thirty-seven and not being married because that's a big. Actually, thirty-eight by the time I did that gig, that's a big thing in China. Like my age and not being married is outlandish. So I just talked a lot about like the pressure of like meeting meeting a woman and meeting a Chinese woman, and a little bit about the marriage markets. They have marriage markets in China, so I made a joke about going to the marriage market, and then I had uh, I have a I, I met one of China's most famous actresses, Li Bingbing. And she's going to be in the next Transformers Four movie, so I have a routine. I have a routine about meeting her that they really like. Like celebrity in China is big now. Like they they right, they're big right. into their celebrities, and uh, oh, and then I just have some like you know some MC type stuff like yeah, yeah. So beat I've, I do I do a lot of beatbox stuff, and then just like the differences between Beijing accent and Shanghai accent, and so to be honest, it's not a million miles from my own style in English. And I told everybody that at the start. I said, listen, I said, you guys can talk about sense of humor. And everyone's obsessed with like, what's a different sense of humor and all this. I just said, look, I'm going to learn Chinese and I'm going to do what I do. And people are going to think it's funny or they're not. I'm not going to try to find, I'm not going to try to like reinvent the wheel and like try to do like what Chinese people, you know, like playing with words. I'm never going to command the language to that degree. And thank God it worked out because yeah. they just they like the openness on stage. But what sounds great is that you didn't define your comedy by your point of difference. You didn't make it all about I'm the I'm the guy from overseas who's come here to make you know to 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 um, learn your language and do stand up. You talked about things, and you could have been Chinese, couldn't you? You talked about being 37 and looking for a bride. It didn't really matter if you're Irish or American or Chinese. You, that, you, yeah, well, that's the thing. That, funny. Uh, but yeah, because they relate to that. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, I had noticed that they, those were the things. And it's fun and it was safe, too. I, actually, in fairness to the, the censors, the people that ran that venue that were, they, they did me a favor because they cut two bits that I had really gotten comfortable doing. And, uh, and I was like, listen, I said, you got to understand something. I'm learning Chinese. It was 11 months, actually, when I did that kick. I was like, you got to understand something. I can hardly speak Chinese. And you've now just taken like seven minutes of yeah. my material. And then I, they were like, what else have you got? And I started giving them like half-baked ideas that I had. And they, they forced me to sort of write them down. And then in sending them that and then doing that on stage, they actually kind of expanded my, my stand-up. So I was pretty grateful. And actually, I hated them beforehand. But the stuff they've pushed me to do really worked and even better than that one of the punchlines for this stuff about not being married was uh, actually one of the reasons why i'm here on stage tonight is my chinese isn't good enough to do 
the Chinese version of Take Me Out. I was saying this in Chinese, obviously, but I said, my Chinese isn't good enough to do the Chinese version of Take Me Out. So basically, I'm here tonight saying, ladies, please, if you, if you like me, uh, you know, add my thing. But I have bad news for you. I don't have an apartment because that's like, that like makes sense in Chinese. Like, you, like, they'll never marry you unless you have a house, right? So, but then the funny thing was the Chinese version of Take Me Out, where one of them, the producer was at the show and I invited oh. me. I, I ended up doing it. Uh, at the end, before I before I finished up the the, the documentary oh, series, wow. and that was a much greater achievement than the stand up gig because I, I was twenty six minutes back and forth with these girls and with the hosts, and uh, that's online now. But yeah, I did I did the Chinese version of Take Me Out, which actually is going to be in the series. That's going to be the closer. Right, it's much more interesting than the gig because the gig is just a load of jokes that don't make any sense in English anyway. Yeah, but you, you know, comics have once comics get a particular length of material, then the, the, the many comics have have difficulty finding the impetus to write more stuff and that's what they all need they all need a censor don't they ripping their material out saying no quick write that down we need it word by word that's a great idea for all yeah comics, i mean you I need think. deadlines really I yeah mean, we're you need all deadlines. the same i mean i definitely need deadlines but the thing about china is there's 1.3 billion people there's hardly any stand-up comedians so actually i'm so motivated now because i think not only not only do I want to be a successful stand-up comedian in China, I want to be in the history books as one of those original guys. Yeah. It's <laughs> an egomaniac. So does that mean I, you're going to go back there and try and, you know, grow your, your Chinese stand-up profile? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm staying because uh, I extended my visa by another year. Officially, I'm supposed to be in college today <laughs> or tomorrow. Really? But, uh, yeah, like I'm on a student visa. But, I mean, I hope nobody from the government is listening to me. But I really just you – know, I just did it for the visa. And uh, I'm staying there for another year just to kind of build – I mean, I was joking about trying to be in the history books. But I am trying to build on all the hard work. I would feel like it was a bit of a waste. I mean, it wasn't my original intention. But now, with all the effort that went in, I feel like it would be a bit of a waste to then just kind of go back to Ireland and tell people about what I did I actually would prefer to just continue using it, you know? It's yeah. just too it's too addictive actually and it's too it's too interesting just to be there at the beginning of this scene and and also it's just like all this material there's just so many things that just I'm slowly being able to articulate as my Chinese gets better, and I I, I just find it hard to just go back. And... So, so Des, is it like when you started doing stand up in the late 90s? Is it like Go and then you know you do it and you get more established and it kind of gets easier and you get more comfortable. Is it like going back to those early days and starting again? The same excitement, uncertainty, ambition. A hundred percent, it's like that. And, yeah. and if you had said that to me in advance, like, oh, maybe you'll you'll get a feeling, I would have said, yeah, whatever. That's such a cliche, but it is totally like that. Huh? And uh, but the great thing about China is, and I mean, it's an advantage for me, and it's not fair. There is still an excitement about a foreigner speaking Chinese. Now, yeah. it, used to, it used to be a foreigner spoke Chinese really well and you got famous. But now that's changed. But actually, there's not a lot of foreigners that speak bad Chinese but do what they do well. And that, that is a unique selling point of mine. I'm going out there and basically saying, look, my Chinese is one year of Chinese. It's nothing great. But I'm, a, I'm doing comedy for a long time and this yeah. is my style, which they're not that used to. So the advantage I have is that I've been on TV quite a bit for somebody who's really just started doing comedy in Chinese. And that is that is kind of like, that is also a little bit addictive that you think, God, you stay here for one more year and you, you, you just never know what, what, what yeah. can happen, you know? And uh, I mean, I don't want to live in China forever. I quite like my English language stand-up career, but it doesn't hurt to think like, oh, well, here's a new stop. Here's, here's an off-the-beaten-track stop on my sort of yearly touring of gigs. 
uh, popping in and, and banging out some shows. In, yeah, in yeah, Chinese. fantastic. And, and when you perform, are you thinking in Mandarin yet? If someone yells out something, are you responding without translating it, then think of an answer and translating it back? No, I mean, sometimes I'm thinking quickly in Mandarin, and then sometimes... Yeah? Sometimes if it's too quick or I, you know, I, I definitely think in English and I definitely think with the F word, <laughs> you know, like, but the Chinese love it. The Chinese love it because every now and then I just get stumped and I, I, I start kind of like cursing in English because it's just my brain isn't fast enough in Chinese. Like, and it's very frustrating, but actually it works in my favor because they, they love that then. They think like, oh, you know, he's saying do they words. Do they have that thing in China where, you know, in, in, in uh, Australia, presumably in all English-speaking nations, if if you drop in an F word or an S word, it makes what a comic says twenty percent funnier. Is there a word or words like that in Mandarin? They're not that down on it. They don't like yeah. using bad language. It's not the same. The freedom isn't the same. Mm. Not that I believe that uh, the F word makes things funnier. I actually just think we use the F word more in our daily language, and comedians use it. And people that are older think, oh. He, he uses the F word because it makes him funnier. I actually think it's just the way people got used to speaking. But in China, you really need to have a good reason to use it because it, it, it will be quite shocking. There's still a shock value in relation to that language. I mean, I tried it once. You know, I just wanted to see, and my God, the gasp! Like they couldn't believe it. I basically made a joke. You know the way sometimes a comedian here. Don't worry, I won't, I won't, I won't say anything yeah. unacceptable. A comedian might hear like make a joke, and then like sort of as an aside, be like, and then I, and then I, you know, had sex with her. Yeah. But like use use like the f word, but like give the sentiment, and then you know, and then I had sex with her. You know, and and then everybody like, whoa, you know, like I kind of did something along those lines in Chinese, and they were like. Like, I've never done it. It's my first time in a comedy career. Like, literally, the audience, like, gasped. Like, wow. oh, my God, I can't believe this had been said. But actually, what was funny was my reaction afterwards, because I just, like, laughed, I think, for 60 <laughs> seconds. I just couldn't believe what I had done. And I, I, I got out of it with, with, with something else. But it, it, it was quite funny to yeah. see. What genuine shock like there's so many comedians now out there looking for shock and uh, like i'm not that interested in it but i just did it as an exercise and uh my god what it, a shock it's definitely 1950s and 60s i actually say to the chinese comedians like you know you guys say that uh chinese audiences don't under oh, oh because western audiences are really open i said listen that you're just like a couple of years behind really actually you know this is just like the beginning yeah. of stand-up comedy but yeah. quickly audiences will change and they they'll will look catch for up. something a bit different yeah des bishop's show made in china is on at uh, in Mel part of the melbourne international comedy festival at the victoria hotel tuesday to saturday seven fifteen. on next friday there's an extra show at five forty-five, and next sunday at six fifteen. details on the international uh melbourne international comedy festival website oh and tomorrow at the town hall at nine thirty. Des, great to uh, talk to you. Sounds fantastic. Good luck uh, with the with the well, the rest of the festival, then the return back to China. Yeah, thank you so much. Nice chatting with you. Yeah, nice chatting to you. That's Des Bishop.